everyone, and welcome back to Bird in the Wings. I'm your host, Kelly Strickland. Bird in the Wings is a podcast where we talk all things arts and culture with the creatives who live and make their work in Northeast Wisconsin. Um, I wanted to give a quick announcement before we get to today's episode with Audrey Nowak. Um, the Widener Philharmonic was scheduled to have its first live audience concert last Sunday, and we were, in fact, rained out. We knew that was a chance. We knew we were pushing it with late May, but we wanted to try. Um, The good news is we do have a rain date, June 20th. That's Father's Day. So if you have an interest in checking out this incredibly quirky, fun repertoire with a uh, chamber group from the Widener Philharmonic, uh, vocals provided by Courtney Sherman, who always delivers, uh, conducted by Randy Meter. Um, tickets are still available, and they're really affordable. It's a, it's a pretty short concert, an hour long, so it's a great opportunity to get outdoors, uh, do something different to celebrate Father's Day, enjoy the gardens, all that good stuff. But let's get to it. Today's conversation is with Audrey Nowak, who, um, if you enjoy music in Northeast Wisconsin, you have likely seen Audrey play. She plays the violin. She also plays the harp. We talk a little bit about that. Um, But she also is omnipresent. She plays with everyone. Um, She has a tremendous generosity of spirit. And I have to say, this conversation probably goes down as one of my favorites that I have had recording this podcast. The story that Audrey tells about how she came to music, the people who influenced her, it's an against all odds story. Um, As I say during the interview, it's like the Rudy of a young musician. If you are an underdog sports movie fan, which I am, um, this is this is the young musician version of that. It's really inspiring. Um, and we kind of get straight to it. This is a short and sweet one, but I enjoyed it so greatly. And while my path has crossed with Audrey's frequently since I have uh, moved to the area, I will say this one felt like I accomplished one of my goals for starting the podcast, which was to make new friends. Um, I really felt like I had a new friend at the end of this conversation. Uh, so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. We'll be back uh, late August, early September. We will be announcing events here at the Widener Center over the course of the summer. Things are slowly falling back into place. Still so many unknowns, but some optimism and cautiously proceeding with what we do, which is bringing people together in rooms to experience the arts together. Can you tell me a little bit about like when you remember your relationship to music beginning? I can, and um, it did not start out very well. (laughs) Um, 
Let's see. When I was in elementary school, my older sister, Jill, started the violin. And she was one year older than I was in school. So I wanted to be like her. So when I was old enough, which was fourth grade, I started the violin. And um, I was, she, she ended up quitting very shortly thereafter, but I, I stayed with it, but I was um, really not very good. But as a teacher, I look back and I realize, you know, I was just a, a kid. I had a teacher named Mr. Linderman, who I thought was like really mean. And um, he was a little grumpy. I will admit, but anyway, I really struggled. I didn't, I never practiced. I didn't, I, I don't know. I just went to class and, and um, that was it. And, but for some reason I stayed with it despite some really strange experiences um, in school. Like um, I remember one time I, I broke a violin string, but that happens all the time. I opened my case and the string was broken. And I can't tell you how many students of mine have had this experience too, but I panicked because it was a school violin. And I thought I broke the whole thing. And um, I, the first lesson that we had after that, I remember just being terrified to go and tell Mr. Linderman I broke the violin. And um, I opened the case and like presented this, you know, broken string. And I was like, I don't know what happened. And I was, you know, teary and upset. And he uh, was teasing in an adult way that a, you know, 10 year old kid didn't understand. And he, he was like, well, how could you? And, you know, you're going to need to bring me $5 for this string. And um, at the time, my family was not, you know, really struggling. And I was terrified to tell my mom I needed $5. I mean, I can't explain to you how stressful this was for me. And so you didn't, you did not pick up that he was, he no. was kidding with you. Oh my God. Mr. Linderman did not know his audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't pick it up. I literally was going in couch cushions and freaking out and taking my lunch money. I mean, it was really bad. And, um, I, I gathered it together and went to pay him the $5 and he laughed at me and told me he was kidding. I'll never forget it. And um, I can't believe I didn't quit right then because my little heart was just pounding. And I was a kid that really internalized everything. Um, but anyway, then, so that's sort of what I remember is my beginning ex experience was all the stress and, um, worry and that was my first year playing and I never felt comfortable you know I had him in fourth grade fifth grade and sixth grade I don't know how I why I kept going but I did but Audrey that, that you know that makes me think a couple of things like first it makes me think of a question that I'm going to ask you in just a second but it also you know when you talk to so many people who ended up having a really long relationship with me as a, as a player, mm -hmm. whether that, you know, professional or volunteer, whatever it is, often the story that you hear is that, you know, there was so much joy, like at, <laughs> right, at jump, or that they just really felt 
that they had something, you know what I mean? That there was like a, an inner sense of like, oh, I can do this and I can do this well. And that's what gets them through all of the hard discipline part. And so frankly, I am just like <laughs> shocked to hear you who are so very accomplished and so committed did not have that experience. I, I You're like a unicorn. Experience. Yeah, I had neither of those experiences. I, I think that I stayed with it because my sister quit. And oh. I come, I, you know, honestly, like I have, there's four girls in my family and um, I was the very quiet, shy one. My oldest sister was, you know, smart and cute and intelligent and, and they all are. But then this number two is really boisterous and full of life and a huge personality. And my younger sister, well, she's a lawyer now, so that might explain to you a little bit. I mean, she also, and I was just always there. And I think you know, I might have seen that as my chance to do something that my sisters weren't doing because my older one quit. Um, but let me carry on because it gets more interesting. So then I went to middle school. And now keep in mind, you know, I went to school in the 70s and 80s. So there was no internet. No, I had never, I had actually never heard of a violinist ever because my teacher was a band teacher. And he really didn't demonstrate for us. I had never been to an orchestra concert. I had never seen live music ever. Wow. And I went to did you did you grow up in the area? Are we talking? Yeah, um, in Michigan in Grand Rapids. Okay. So I went to middle school and the first day of middle school, and you know, I'm a shy, awkward kid. I hear this girl playing the violin. Her name was Katie Verbeek. Hello, shout out Katie, if you're out there. <laughs> but anyway, um, I heard her playing a violin. Now she was someone who had studied violin since she was four and she was incredible. And my jaw was like, Oh, like I, I had no idea the violin could do that. So immediately, you know, my little 11, 12 year old self is like idolizing her like, Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. And then I was inspired for the first time ever. Only unfortunately, Katie was a bit of a bully and she really enjoyed the fact that I knew nothing. I couldn't, I, I couldn't even really read notes at that. I mean, I was last chair back. That's in the days when they had chairs. I was the last chair. I was behind and everything. And I just would listen to Katie and be like, oh, how do you do that? And she'd laugh at me. And I literally, my middle school diaries, every single entry is about Katie Verbeek taunting me and me crying on the bus. It's really sad. It really is. But I don't, I look at back at it and I was just in awe because I had never heard that. And I also never practiced, but I didn't really know. I just was lost, I think. But in eighth grade, my teacher, Miss Sage, was like, I'm tired of, of you students not practicing. We're going to do auditions on Monday. And she passed out a piece of music. It was a Kreitzer etude. I can still play the whole thing by heart. And I, my little eighth grade self was like, this is my chance not to be last chair. I am, I'm actually going to practice. I'm going to do this, you know, with all of that gumption that middle school kids get. And I took my violin home and I had to sit and like, figure out every single note and write the note name over everything. It took me like all a Friday night just to write the notes down. And then I practiced 
like crazy and I ate bananas and I did like all those things they tell you to do. And Monday came and I was so excited because I had never accomplished anything. Like I could actually play this little etude. And um, I had orchestra last hour of the day and literally all day I was just like singing it and practicing it and like, I, I'm not going to be last chair, you know, and we go in and there was a substitute teacher with a tape recorder. It gets worse. She had a tape recorder and she said, Miss Sage told me to record the auditions. You're still auditioning. And I was like, okay, phew. And she went down from the, you know, my little orchestra had, I don't know, seven violins and probably a few violas, but she went from the first chair, Katie, all the way down to the last chair. But I was literally the only one that practiced. And when I, so Katie didn't even play it. When I got done, all the kids clapped for me, except Katie. But I mean, I was like, oh, I'm going to be first chair. I, I, I'm going to be first chair. Like, how could I not be? And I was so excited. We came to school the next day. Miss Sage was standing there and she had the little cassette tape broken in two. And she said, I couldn't even get through all those auditions. I listened to the first three of you and that's it. You're doing sight reading auditions right now. And then of course I was last chair again. And I cried and cried and I went to my mother and my mom and you know, she was like, oh, too bad, so sad, you know. I'm like, oh my God, Audrey, this is a saga. Hey, oh my gosh. This, this needs to be a movie. Like I am, I am so rooting for little Audrey right now. Audrey was heartbroken, but, and then ninth grade came, I was still last chair, but then I had a teacher. When you talk about a teacher making a difference, I had Mr. Devendorf. And I was sitting last chair and we were working on Handel's Messiah, Hallelujah Chorus, Letter B. I mean, as a, you know, now I've played that 5,000 times. I can still do the second violin part by heart. And um, Mr. Demondorf came and sat next to me and he was helping me with this really tricky rhythm or what I thought was tricky. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Audrey, I really think you could be good. I really think there's something here if you really just focused. And I said, Oh, Mr. Dienendorf, it's okay. I've accepted my place in the world. You know, I don't, that's what I said. I said, I don't mind being last chair. I'm just here for the music. I like the music. It doesn't bother me. And he stopped and looked at me and he said, you should expect more out of yourself. And I expect more out of you. And I was like, you do like, wait, what? <laughs> it never occurred to me because just music just wasn't a thing in my family or anything. Like yeah. nobody really cared. I, I, I actually have tears. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. He so was, <laughs> moved by that. Okay. Oh my God. It was really precious. And, and I did. And at the end of that freshman year, he gave me a scholarship for violin lessons. And um, I had to take two city buses to get there. It was like, you know, an hour and a half commute on city buses in Grand Rapids, Michigan, but I, I went downtown to the junior college and um, my teacher there was Colette Vandenberg. And I remember the first day walking in, I was so nervous. Again, really my first exposure to a violinist. So this yeah. is the summer before 10th grade. And she was a professional violinist with the Grand Rapids Symphony. And she was playing harmonics and I had never heard a harmonic. I didn't know what one was. And it was similar to my seventh grade experience where I was like, oh, what? And I practiced all summer as hard as I could. And at the end of the summer, she's like, you've got to take lessons with me. Can you take private lessons with me? And I was like, sure. 
but I knew that I couldn't because that was actually the summer my dad had left us and we lost our house and things were not good. So I never even mentioned it to my mom. Like I never said anything. And then about the middle of October, this Colette Vandenberg had to figure out who I was. I mean, Grand Rapids is a big city. There's like, yeah. I don't even know how many high schools. Where I went to school, she contacted my high school director, Mr. Devendorf, and said, where is this kid? She was supposed to take lessons and he gave her my phone number. And then she called me and she's like, I thought you were going to take lessons. And then I had to fess up. Like, we can't afford it. Like, thank you. I loved them. And I want to, and she's like, can you get to my house? And I'm like, well, I know how to take a bus so I can get to your house. And she gave me lessons for nothing for, well, I would like sweep her floors and clean up between her students but my mom, after like a month of that, my mom was like, geez, all right, you know, we'll pay for it. Like she was embarrassed and she didn't know. Um, and that was not her fault. That was really my fault for not speaking up. But then I had lessons after that. And then finally, by senior year, I beat Katie and I was actually first chair. <laughs> so yes! I did. It was like... And the ending I wanted. Oh my God. Okay. So this is a podcast. So nobody can see this. I literally have tears running down my yes. face. Like every, every part of that story is like, I mean, first of all, it's just a great underdog story. <laughs> but it's like the music version of Rudy. Um, but also I just can't help but be moved by those adults in your life who saw it and who did not take, you know, who, who just kept pursuing it because, you know, the thing about kids who really connect with the arts is that we don't have necessarily the same infrastructure around arts education that we have around sports, right? Where, where coaches are often like looking to kind of build their team for this competitive edge. And so there's an incentive for them to really kind of pull these star athletes into their, into their universe. And we don't always have the same thing. And, uh, oh gosh, another time, Andre, you and I are going to swap stories about being poor kids who didn't feel like those kinds of opportunities were for them and the adults in our lives who really changed that perception just out of the generosity of their spirit and their belief in the power of the arts. I mean, holy cow, that was a roller coaster. (laughs) You know, and it's, it, it went on through college when I went to my college audition. I mean, I remember my family just being mortified when I said I wanted to major in music, like, God, you're kidding. Like, Oh God. Cause I was pretty academically intelligent. I mean, I, so they had greater in quotes aspirations for me than a quote musician. Um, and so it took a lot of courage for me to, to say, I wanted to do this with the help of my teacher, Colette, but I went to my, I went to only one college audition. It was uh, Michigan State University. I got lost on the way there. I walked in by myself because I drove myself there. And, you know, it was like college audition day and banners and tables with 
food and parents and grandparents holding flowers for their students or their kid when the kid came out and all this. And I walked in and I felt so out of place. So in addition to being scared and lost and trying to find my way on that huge campus and walking in, I took a look around and I realized I'm the only one here without a parent. Like, at least that was my perception that may or may not have been true, but that's what I thought and holding my violin and I'm looking around. I just thought, no, mm -mm." and I started to walk out and they called my name, which is good. It's a blessing that I was that late because I'm such a, I was Uh. such a compliant kid. The, The second they called my name, I turned around and I was like, that's me, (laughs) you know? And they're like, well, it's your turn. I had, I was like, I I don't know if I want to go. And they're like, it's your turn, go. So anyway, I, I went in to do the audition and it's, you know, all those college professors in a row. It was so intimidating. And I played my piece and I'll never forget because they're like looking at me with such confusion. Like they just were trying to figure me out. Like they didn't get it. And I had to play an etude and then my scales and then some sight reading and then the room is silent. And the man who later turned out to be my professor, his name was Ifu Wong, very intimidating. He's like, um, can I see you in the hall? And I go out in the hall and he says, uh, we're confused. We don't understand, you, you know, what's your experience level? And basically what they were getting at was like, you know, I had only had those three years of lessons, of real lessons. So my technique was way behind, but musically, I was apparently very mature. So they liked my sound, but they couldn't understand how I was getting it because I was holding my bow weird and, you know, doing all those weird things. So they're like, we're not sure what to do. We're going to accept you on, um, uh, what do you call it? On um, probation or yes, something. Thank you. That's the word. We're going to accept you on probation. And um, if you, you know, you're going to have to straighten some of these things out in the next year, if you want to do this. And then I was, I didn't know if I should be happy or sad because, you know, it's like, what does that mean? Um, So I was confused and he says, no, you're coming here. You're going to be my student, but you're going to have to work hard. And I was like, oh, well, that's no problem. Like, that's it. That's all you're telling me is I'm going to have to work hard. And I did work very, very hard. And he, he helped a lot, but it's just interesting how exactly what you're saying, those adults who can challenge you in a way, I mean, nobody coddled me and said, oh, you poor thing, you know, oh, we think, no, it was like, "Mm, we're not sure about you, but we like your sound, but you're going to have to work hard. And that was so inspiring to me because I finally, with Mr. Devendorf and Ifu and really all of Michigan State, I finally had people saying, no, we believe you can do it, but you're not doing it yet. Yeah. Instead of like, oh, no, that was good. You know, so I, I carry that to my own students to this day. That's how I teach them. And um, I hope they would all agree with that, that there will, you know, I'm constantly pushing them. But yet I try to balance that with them being fully aware that I'm 100 percent confident that they can do this and I'm not going to stop until they get it. I'm yeah. not going to give up and just get tired of pushing them. I will push them until they get it. So anyway, it's it's just very powerful 
Yeah, that is, I mean, that, I'm so glad that we're doing this in the morning so I can sort of ride the energy of this story all day. That's like the best. You may now have my favorite young person story that's been told on this podcast. Um, So, so here, what, let me ask this. Uh, Obviously you've referenced a couple of times that you are an arts educator, Mm -hmm. but can you just run through the roster of all of the various performing groups that you're affiliated with in our region? (laughs) It's, I know some people think I'm nuts and it actually took me until probably my fifties to get to the point where it's like, I'm not going to make apologies for this. I'm living my best life. But in my forties, I really, it was almost embarrassing, but because, you know, (laughs) it just seems like a lot, but I love it. So I, I have so many different interests and hats that I wear, and that's kind of what keeps me um, happy every day and, and, you know, motivated. So mainly I'm a violinist. That was my first instrument. That's what I, you know, studied and went to college for. And so I play violin with, I've been playing with Fox Valley Symphony since 1990. So a long time. And I play with, um, I played with Green Bay Symphony. Now I play with the Civic Symphony of Green Bay and the Widener Philharmonic, the Manitowoc Symphony and Oshkosh Symphony, if they ever come back um, from COVID, we'll see. So those are the main places, but then there's all the ringer things and so forth. But I'm also a harpist and um, I didn't start harp until that's a whole nother topic. Um, I started harp when I was 24. Um, and did end up playing in symphonies. I played harp with Sheboygan Symphony and sometimes Fox Valley Symphony in the late 90s. It allowed me to to um, take a hiatus from my job and be a stay-at-home mom. And so for a period of years, I was mainly performing on the harp, doing very little violin because <clears throat> I had the time to practice, but also you get paid a lot more on the harp. So it kind of helped me stay home with my kids Um, And I also play the hammered dulcimer and do that around in various ways. And I I teach private lessons and um, she's, I'm the youth orchestra program manager for the uh, St. Norbert Youth Orchestra program. I'm also a conductor for that. And then I'm an adjunct instructor for St. Norbert and then now the contractor for Widener Philharmonic. I'm sure I'm, oh, and I'm a hospital certified harp therapist with Aurora Bay Care. So it keeps me hopping. It's amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Thank you. You know, as you were talking about, you know, saying to that high school um, orchestra conductor, like, I'm, I'm content with my place in life. Like, and I heard you say, I'm just here for the music. Mm-hmm. And when you said that, I, I had the thought like, oh, that sentiment. And now of course we know you're, I mean, you're a very accomplished musician, but one of the things I I'm guessing most people would say about you, Audrey, is that you are also a delight to work with that you are so generous in spirit, in connecting people, in being generous with, with your times and time skills, expertise. Um, you, 
I mean, I remember the first time I saw you backstage for what turned out to be the first Widener Philharmonic yeah. <laughs> performance. It was our 25th anniversary. We, you know, the Widener Philharmonic was just like a tiny little idea at that point. But you radiate that joy. It's very infectious and it's very, um, it just galvanizes a room and a stage. It's, it's really remarkable. And so when you said that, you know, I'm, I'm just here for the music. I was like, that's it. That's why she's just there for the music. Thank you. And that's still true to this day. Yeah. And I, I'm always telling my students and one of the, I think one of my proudest achievements career-wise and at Bayport in general, and really through the youth orchestra program to an extent, although I have much more influence here, is is getting that spirit across and letting a student know it doesn't matter where you're sitting. I mean, I don't do chairs. I, I don't think many people do anymore. I seat principal players, and then I have my own strategy for how I seat the rest of the orchestra to help help us all sound good. Um, but once in a while, you'll, I'll get a student or a parent who's really caught up with where their child is seated on stage. And um, it's taken some time and really developing this culture of realizing we are all playing the same music on the same stage at the same time. And it, that's all that matters. Just enjoy what you're doing and, and what your role is, whether you're a leading role or a supporting role or a first violin or a second violin or whatever, it doesn't matter because we're creating one thing together. And that is how I've always felt. And, you know, as I look back on on all of the experiences that I've had, I'm grateful for all of them, especially the early experiences because I know now to, you know, you never know what a student is going through at home ever. And you can think you know, you don't know. And I've been teaching 31 years and I'm reminded of that always, even though I try to keep it forefront in my mind. So I just try to be more sensitive, you know, to, to what a student may be going through and, and then what, you know, was shown to me when, but times were different then too, you know, now, nowadays we're a lot more sensitive about that, but I'm grateful for all the experiences because I think they they helped give me insights that I use to this day. So do you, is it possible for you to articulate? What does that mean for you being there for the music? What is it to you to be in the music? It's it's hard to describe, but I'll try. But there's, and it this doesn't happen all the time, but it happens more times than not. When when you're really in the in the zone or in the flow, I mean that's a that's a term that they use for the brain. Um, when you are there, I personally am transcended beyond what I'm doing. And so, you know, people talk about mindfulness and all that. This is that to the millionth extreme. I'm literally not present. I am. It's as if if you if I can use like visuals, if the music is you know, you look at an orchestra and there's all this music above them. And if you can visualize all this music happening, that's where I am. 
in the thick of that. I'm not like here. I'm not thinking about my electric bill or my student that did this or my broken car or whatever. I'm not even thinking about that at all. It's not even in myself at all. I'm so, it's so hard to explain, but it, you know, when you have an experience like that and the concert is over, it's, it's, you just feel so refreshed and joyful. It, it is. It's just, wow. Like I'm so lucky. That was amazing. And and the more you know, and the more you you study composers and and you study the music and and um, when I was in Vienna and studying Beethoven and far more intently and and deeper than I ever have, um, I'm actually you feel a part of that composer's life in a really cool way. It's just it's hard to explain, but it, it's definitely I don't want to be like all wacky and be like you know, ooh, it's, you know, but it it is, I mean, there's something about it. That is why musicians still, why we crave it and why COVID was so hard without it. Because I can play music by myself, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. I, you know, that I'm, transcendent experience. Yeah. That yeah. Doesn't happen. That, that you know, means. that's so, um, yeah, that's that's got me thinking about all kinds of things, Audrey. I mean, I your description, and the listeners can't see this, but but when Audrey was saying I'm not there, she was referring to her body literally, like she was kind of pointing to her body and describing where she was as being in some ways out of body, right? Not occupied by our daily concerns, not distracted by them, truly kind of part of something that is larger. And you're not the first artist on this podcast to talk about that experience. Um, But I think a lot of art makers, especially those who um, work in a collaborative form will talk about that moment where it's you you are out of body and it occurs to me that you know people chase that feeling through all kinds of yeah. synthetic ways and substance fueled ways and sometimes you know spiritual practice ways or but as a species it is something we seek right That's you know point. and yeah. to have this ability to achieve it through creative expression is it's very special and um yeah you're you are truly inspiring Audrey (laughs) you really are and for someone who said I'm not sure I can articulate it I think you articulated it (laughs) really well it's hard to get across but it's so powerful yeah. It's so, so and I want to say one more thing about that before we go on and then yeah. anyone listening. You do not need to be a symphony musician or even a highly skilled musician to get that feeling. I have had groups of fifth graders achieve that feeling. It's it's the emotion and the energy all being focused on one thing collaboratively much like a sports team I'm sure I mean I don't play sports but I would imagine it's like that um so it's not something like oh someday when I'm really good I'll feel it it's not that at all it's it's wherever you are that's the beauty of it yeah that's a really important point I, I think want people that to know that because yeah and I I can I would echo that I mean even you know 20 
five years ago when I was a teaching artist in residence working with little, little kids, you would sometimes see, I mean, like K through three kids have that experience where they did something and all looked at each other with a sense like, (laughs) that was magic. Like we just made magic. (laughs) And I think for me, one of the things, and I don't, I don't like to, um, denigrate the value of sports because I do think it's incredibly valuable and if my mom had her way I would have been like a supreme volleyball player (laughs) and that was just never in the cards but um but I do think that one thing that is very different and, and I'm sure that teams have that feeling right that euphoric shared accomplishment feeling but I think one thing that's special about groups of artists who are working collaboratively, um, even if they don't identify personally as artists, but people engaged in artistic process, it's all in a service of creating beauty. Mm -hmm. So there is, I do think that there is there is something different in what that shared experience is in the arts versus team, uh, an athletic accomplishment, um, not, you know, not better or worse, just different. Um, because I think that, you know, we, uh, we don't just stop and enjoy beauty enough. And I think I've heard a lot of people talk about COVID experiences where having more time, slowing down, all of those things kind of brought them back to that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if it was enjoying sunsets or watching bird feeders or, you know, taking longer, slower walks with their dog, whatever it was, just sort of enjoying things that are are beautiful. And I hope we don't lose that. I hope, I hope we don't forget. Yeah, I I agree with you a hundred percent on that. I hope we don't forget too. Yeah. So have you performed in front of an audience yet? Yes. Well, oh, in front of an audience. No. <laughs> <laughs> Only virtually where where there's an audience somewhere out there. Yes, yes. Um, this weekend, I'll be performing with Manitowoc Symphony, and there will be an audience. Yay. So the, first, the first time. Yeah, we have um, the Widener Philharmonic has its first performance with an audience this weekend as well. And, of course, you, you play with us when you can. Um, uh, and it feels... I don't even know how to describe it. Like I, I feel nervous about it in a way that's like, oh my gosh, there's going to be people there. I mean, we've just been, as you know, you've been a part of it. We've just been playing by ourselves in Fort Howard Hall. It's like the first day of school by, you know, a million because it's just, it's really intense. Yeah. So it'll be fun. Well, Audrey, I want to thank you so much for just taking a little bit of time to share your experience and um, and your thoughts on uh, uh, on the role of music in your life. But also, I think you shared some really valuable things just for people who are listening to think about their relationship to art in their life. So thank you very much. Thanks, Kelly. And, and thanks for doing this. This is fun. Yeah. Talk to you. I'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
Thanks for joining us again. Bird in the Wings is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. Phoenix Studios executive producer is Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. And our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlias. Our music was written and performed by Noah Simon. If you haven't already, please remember to rate review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website at uwgb.edu slash podcasts, plural, to check out past episodes of this and all of our shows. I'm your host, Kelly Strickland. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.